Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians 11. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I know we're doing a little different today with the communion and we'll do it at the end today. Is that all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Are you there? Okay, we're going to read verses 23 through 26. Hallelujah. Y'all have that? Okay, let's read together. Ready, read. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Verse 25 again says, In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This cup is the new covenant. New Testament, it says in other translations, other places Jesus talked about that in the Gospels. So the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Thank you, Lord. Today I want to talk on the subject power in the blood. Power in the blood power in the blood father thank you today for the time that we have to dive into your word and receive from you we thank you that lord as you are ready to speak to us we are ready to receive we receive your word today with meekness knowing that it's able to save our souls we receive your word not as the word of men but as it is in truth your word which works effectively in those who believe we declare this morning that we believe your word. So speak now for your servants we hear, we will obey, we'll receive the revelation and the manifestation from this word. We pray in Jesus' name, so be it. Amen, amen. and amen. Tell your neighbor there's power in the blood. Tell somebody there's power in the blood. Glory to God. Uh, in today's church, I, I, I find, and you'll agree, if you understand who you are in Christ, that many Christians, many believers, most believers, are living beneath their privileges. Most people in the body of Christ have never learned, and many have lost sight of the powerful covenant agreement that God has made with us through his son Jesus. Uh, when Apostle Derber was here a couple uh, last week or so, he declared this is an Ivy League church, uh, and I, I take that to heart, amen, which makes me an Ivy League professor, <laughs> which makes you Ivy League caliber students, amen, not everybody can get into Ivy League, so if God brought you here, that means you're an Ivy League student, you understand, you're the upper echelon of the kingdom academia, okay? So there are things you know, 
things you have learned, things you have received, things you have seen that most of the body of Christ has no clue about. Okay, that's why Jesus said to the disciples once, he said, blessed are your ears for they hear, blessed are your eyes for they see. You're blessed to know what you know. Most believers are living beneath their privilege because they've never ever even learned about the power of the blood covenant that we have with Father God. And then many others are living beneath their privileges because they've not really um, ascended in their heart to understand the revelation of that blood covenant. And most people believe as, as Christians that, uh, okay, I'm a Christian, I joined a church, uh, um, I participate in, in service, I, I volunteer in some ministry, or I give my little offering and so forth, and uh, that's all there is to it. I do that, I go home, do that, and go home, go to work, so on and so forth. But I have no understanding that we are brought into a covenant agreement with Father God. In fact, covenant is something we mostly don't understand in today's uh, society. We understand contracts. Uh, you have uh, contracts uh, that, that you enter into when anybody has a mortgage or you lease property, you uh, enter into a contract. We're now uh, mostly uh, tending towards a no-contract society. We get cell phones now. I don't want any contract. I'm not bound by anything. It's a trick. Uh, if you finance the phone, it's a trick. Because they understand that you're going to stay in that, in that agreement because the moment you leave their company, now you owe them the full price on that phone, not the little uh, easy price they gave you to finance. So it's a trick, too. We have cable service. There's no contract. Marriage. Now no contract. It's month to month. I better come back over here. Okay. <laughs> but God has established a covenant with us, a covenant agreement with us, such that he has legally bound himself to us. I don't know if y'all understand that. He, God, has legally bound himself to us. See, the power of a covenant, a, a contract depends on two parties performing uh, certain tasks, certain duties, meeting requirements when you enter a contract. I pay, you provide a service. You understand? But a covenant is based only on the strength of one party. That God is the one with the strength. That he made the covenant agreement with us and that all we have to do is just simply accept it. That he has legally bound himself to us, but we are not legally bound to him. Listen to this. You are not legally bound to him. We serve him out of free will. I serve God because I want to serve God. Not because he's making me serve him. I serve him because I love him. Glory to God. My wife and I were talking the other day and I was telling her, I said, I said, baby, if, if, 
if I never knew the word of God, if I never knew the laws about what God says about marriage, I'd still love her and I never would step out on her because I love her. And Jesus Christ, or Paul said, the love of God, the love of Christ constrains me. In other words, the love of Christ compels me to live a certain way. So when I, when I love the Lord like I do, I'm not, I'm not legally bound to anything, but that love keeps tugging on me. Why are you going to church, Pastor? Because, because you, because you got to be there. No, because the love of Christ just, can, just keeps me coming. I just... Why you get up and pray? Because you have to know because the love of Christ just constrains me. Why do you tithe, pastor? Because of the law? Because you're trying to avoid the curse? No, because the love of God constrains me. Can I ask you a question? This is a side note. This is a side note question. This is a side note. Can I ask it? Why do you tithe? Huh? Why, why, why do we tithe? Okay, bi- biblically, why, why do we tithe? Huh? Y'all all wrong. It's, it's right. I mean, it's, 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 y'all saying good stuff is just, not, it's just wrong. Hey, this, this is not going to be on a test later. This is just a, a side, it's just a side random thing. This is random because I mentioned tithe, so this came back up in my spirit. You know why we tithe? That there may be meat in my house. That's what God said. Bring the tithe, that there may be meat in my house. Is that Malachi 3.10? That there may be meat in my house. Not to keep the devour off me. Not because I'm scared of the curse. He said, here's why you tithe. That there may be meat in my house. All the other things are just benefits. But the reason, oh, see that, I see y'all, y'all like, oh, Lord. I might need to preach on that Wednesday. Because you got to change your motivation. Even as the why you sow. I got I to have the right motivation. I, I do it so that there may be meat in this house. Okay, let's get back on the subject here. Okay. But, but what makes it easy to do is the love of Christ constrains me. Are you following me? So we have a blood covenant that God has established with us that was sealed and ratified in the blood of his own son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Too many believers are living with sickness and or dying prematurely. Because of a failure to understand this blood covenant power. Too many believers are uh, living in poverty and or owing everybody in town. Because of a a failure to understand, y'all don't like this, but your, your spirit likes it. To understand the power of this blood covenant. And so my instruction today is to teach you the power of the blood. 
there by the power of the blood covenant. Are you with me? Hosea 4, 6, you all know this one. Uh, God said, my people are destroyed. Why? Not lack of money, not lack of education, lack of knowledge. He says, because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you. So the, the lack of knowledge is not because the knowledge is not available. The lack of knowledge is because they have rejected it. So he says, so I reject you from being priests for me. And he wasn't just talking to the preachers. He's talking about the priesthood. Says, says, if you keep rejecting the knowledge, I can't have you representing me. Because if you're going to represent me, there's a certain way you ought to be uh, living and looking and walking and talking and carrying yourself. And so if you're going to keep rejecting this, I got to reject you. Are you hearing this? So God doesn't want us to reject the knowledge that he gives us through the word of God today. So you ready to receive it? All right. Now, so God established for us a powerful and everlasting covenant. Uh, and the reason it's powerful is because it's ratified and sealed in the blood, the powerful blood of Jesus Christ. If you, if you know anything about covenants in the, in the Bible, uh, covenants were, there, there are salt covenants that we read about in the Bible, uh, which was, which was uh, binding to a degree but a blood covenant was the most powerful covenant that you could make on the planet. Because what, for a blood covenant to be made, uh, Brother uh, Minister Elder Baker, come up here real quick. For a blood covenant to be made, we didn't just shake hands on it. I'd actually have to cut myself. He'd have to cut himself, and then we'd shake hands. Our blood would mingle. What we were saying was that now we are no longer two blood, we are one blood. And the Bible says life is in the blood. So what that means to us is that if he should break the covenant, then he's worthy now of death. Or if I should break the covenant, now I'm worthy of death. My, our, this blood covenant made us more, made us closer than brothers. It's exactly what David and Jonathan had. Why Jonathan was closer to David than he was to his own father. Because although Jonathan had come from Saul's loins, Jonathan and Saul, his father, had never made a blood covenant. But Jonathan and David made a blood covenant. And the Bible says their hearts were knit together more than a man and a woman. Some people have tried to use that as to talk about they were homosexual, which is not true. It's talking about they became, the Bible says there's a friend that sticks closer. A blood covenant causes that. So in order for, thank you, in order for a covenant to be established, somebody had to shed blood. Uh, Y'all allow me to say something. That's why God's design for marriage is that when a woman marries, she's a virgin. You can fill in the blank. That's why God, that's God's design because at, at the point of consummation, they have now entered a blood covenant together. 
Thank God for restoring people's lives. Praise the Lord. Praise. The Lord. I don't want anybody to get in combination about that. I'm just talking about what God's design is. Got it? Y'all stick with me here. Okay. So a blood covenant is the most powerful covenant that can be made on the earth. Matter of fact, let me just when 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 God made promise to Abraham. Abraham was trying to figure out, God, how shall I know that what you're saying is, is, is true? How shall I know it shall come to pass? Genesis 15, he tells him, I want you to go and get a heifer and, and, and a bullock or whatever. I, I forget the exact animals he had, but he had him get these animals and cut them in half. He, in other words, uh, he had to make him shed blood so this covenant could be sealed. Then he comes along in Genesis 17, right around verse 7, and he says, he says, uh, Abraham, he says, uh, this covenant I make with you, I will establish with you and your seed after you in their generations. But uh, some blood had to be shed. Are you with me? All right. So then, to establish an eternal or an everlasting covenant, he needed to shed blood that was eternal, Blood that, was, that will become everlasting. That's why he sent Jesus. Because Jesus Christ became our everlasting sacrifice. Our eternal sacrifice. We preached a couple Sundays ago. He became, uh, he was Christ our Passover. Are you with me? So there's power in the covenant because there's power in the blood. Glory to God. I want to show you three areas on this real quick. Number one, the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansing power. Everybody say cleansing power. power. The blood of Jesus has cleansing power. Now, that's that's an an oxymoronic statement because anybody who's ever done done laundry knows that when you get blood on something, it stains. The nature of blood is that it stains. But yet the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ's blood has cleansing power. 1 John chapter 1 And verse 7 tells us, says the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. Thank God for the blood. Say it again. Thank God for the blood. How many of y'all were born in sin? Shaping iniquity. How many of y'all were sinners and good at it? And you tried other stuff. I tried to quit. I tried to stop. I tried to. But you couldn't. Professional sinners. Not, not like y'all little amateurs around, professional sinners. And yet the Bible says, with all that sin, that the blood cleanses us from how much? Come on, how much? Not just little sins, but all sins. It doesn't matter if you were just a little liar or a murderer and a rapist. The, God, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, I'm glad about it. I don't know about you. Some of y'all forgot you used to be sinners. I know, I know it's been a long time, but I used to be a sinner. But thank God for his blood. The blood of Jesus Christ has cleansing power. Then not only that, Hebrews 9 verse 14. Hebrews 9 verse 14 tells us that the blood of Christ will cleanse your conscience from dead works. Now that's critical. Because it's one thing to be cleansed from the sin. 
But another thing to be cleansed in your conscience. Because what we have is this gift of memory. That even though my sins have been washed away, the memories have not been washed away. And so many times if you're like me, and many of you are, you found yourself, even after the sin has been forgiven, you still don't feel clean. Okay, I'll come over here. Maybe none of y'all. You still don't, don't feel, even though you know that if you confess your sin to him, he is faithful and just to forgive you of sin and cleanse you. Yet in your mind, your conscience doesn't feel clean because you have an adversary, the devil, who's trying to get you always thinking about and stuck on what you did. Can I get a witness on that one? So what happens is even though you are spiritually clean, your conscience is still uh, feeling icky. Icky. Until you learn the power of the blood. Once you now learn the power of the blood, now you apply the blood even to your conscience. And I thank God that even now my conscience is clean from things I've done. That's why you have the Apostle Paul who was a, 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 a conspirator and a murderer. A one who would go into a, a church, walk in and bust the usher in the mouth and drag people out. And he didn't care nothing about your security team. He don't go and, and grab folk and pull them out and drag them to, drag them to jail and drag them to their death. He's there even at, 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 the, at the stoning of Stephen, consenting to the stoning of one of God's men, holding everybody's jackets. He has done all kind of evil, and yet he writes later on, he says, I have wronged no man. You have wronged no man? How is that? Because the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed his conscience. Oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. Ladies and gentlemen, hear me. This is very critical. Because if you don't ever get your conscience clean, you will have a difficult time ever receiving from God. There are too many believers today who walk around with an unworthy complex. Oh, boy, talk to me. Lord, we're not worthy. And they're singing these songs, praise and worship songs. Lord, we're not worthy to stand before your presence. We're so unworthy, Lord. How could you even let a worm like me even stand before your throne? We're so unworthy. That's a dirty conscience. What do you mean you're not worthy? You've been washed in the blood of Jesus. Not worthy? What you talking about? Not worthy. But yet, if you have a sin consciousness, if you have a, a dirty conscience that you've not, and see, the blood is available, but you have to apply it. Come on now. You can have, you can have detergent all in your cabinet, but if you don't put detergent in the machine, you have to apply the, 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 the detergent. Am I right about it? So the blood is available, but you and I have to apply it to our conscience. Hallelujah. How do I do that, Pastor? Well, every time the devil tries to bring something back to you, no, I've been clean from that. 
Thank you for the blood. Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. I reject that thought. I'm not that. I did, yeah, I did that, but I'm not that anymore. I've been forgiven. I've been washed. I've been sanctified. I've been purified. I've been clean. And every time he's going to come back 20 minutes later, and says, oh, no, 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 no. I got some of y'all because some of y'all ain't said nothing yet. When you go to bed at night and you have that dirty dream. Y'all, see, y'all won't even say anything. You had that dirty dream, something you thought you were over. They ain't going to tell the truth. Some, something you thought you had clean forgot about. Why am I even having this kind of dream? When you wake up in the morning, Satan, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. My conscience has already been made clean from all that. I apply the blood of Jesus Christ over my conscience. My mind is clean. I wish I had some truth tellers in here, boy. Y'all ain't saying that anymore. Come on now. You know you know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all, you ain't got to be asleep. You could be praying. And a thought. Where that thought come from? Honey? Okay, now you want to. Okay, no, all right, all right. We, all right, all right. Praying in tongues, even. Shut that up. And if you don't apply the blood, even though the sin is forgiven, the remembrance of it will remain. The remembrance of a sin that God does not remember. Tell your neighbor, there's power in the blood. So the blood has cleansing power. Number two, the blood of Jesus has overcoming power. The blood of Jesus has overcoming power. Power. Everybody say overcoming power. In Revelation chapter 12, Revelation chapter 12, I'm going to turn over here. Revelation 12, glory to God. And uh, verse 10, verse 10 says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, y'all know that is? Who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Now, who's the, who's the accuser? Now, he's been cast down. Cast down from where? Heaven to where? Earth. Okay? The devil's not in, in hell. He's in the earth. He's a prince of the power of the air. He's operating on this planet. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 19, all the world lies under the control of the wicked one, of the same accuser here. Now, the only difference is him being an accuser, remember, he's been cast down, so he's no longer in heaven. So I need you to understand this. This is, this is very critical. This is a side note here, Barbara. People still have the idea of the Job story. Whereas in Job's day, the Bible says when the sons of God presented themselves before God, Satan came also. And he, he, he was an accuser then. But he's since then been cast down. And he has no place in heaven. The Bible says there was no more place found him, for him in heaven anymore. He has no place there because of the blood. When Jesus Christ died, shed his blood, 
part of the process during the resurrection time was to ascend to the Father and place his blood on the mercy seat. When he placed his blood on the mercy seat, now Satan could no longer come back into heaven. So now if Satan accuses you, he's not accusing you before God. He's accusing you before you. He can't go to God anymore. That blood's there. So he comes into your own mind. He comes into your own subconscious. He comes into your own dreams. He accuses you day and night. See, see it says he accused, duh. accused, duh. okay, before God. Now he accuses currently directly to you because he, he didn't change what he does. He just changed where he could do it. Because he can't go back up there. So he's got to accuse us. That's why we need our conscience cleansed. Now watch this. Verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood, thank you Lord, of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. In other words, worshiping, serving, pleasing God was more important than living. If you can, see the moment you become sacrificial, you'll live abundantly. The moment your life means less to you than the life God has for you, you'll begin to live the life God has for you. And the reason why most folks still struggle is because they love their lives too much. I love my life, I, but I love my life. I can't change it. I love my life. Yeah, but your life is keeping you from the God life that God has for you. The life that he already prearranged and made ready for you to live. He has a good life, Ephesians 2.10 amplified. He already has a good life that's been prearranged and made ready for you to live. The problem is you love your life. I love my programs, I love my stories, I love my soaps, I love my movies, I love my music, I love my liquor, I love my cigarettes, I love my, I love, I love, I love, I love, whatever you love. But if you will lay that stuff down, there's a glorious life he has for you. So you're going to need to one, lay your life down. Two, you're going to need a good testimony. Because you got to have a word of your testimony. You got to have something that you're speaking. You got to say something. Tell your neighbor, you got to say something. You, you got to say, I'm healed. You got to say, I'm rich. You got to say, I'm blessed. You got to say, I'm alive. You got to say, I'm strong. You got to say, I can make it. You got to say, I can do it. You got to say, I am going somewhere. You got to have a testimony. Testimony, not a thought, it's a word. Ask maybe if you got a word, you got a word. Tell them, ask, do you have a testimony? What are you saying? No, no, not, not, not what are you saying when you're here. What are you saying when you're home? What are you saying when you're in your car? What are you saying when you're at work? What are you saying when you're by yourself? What are you saying when you're crying in the shower? Crying, what are you saying then? 
Because that's your real testimony. <laughs> that's your real testimony. See, and that's, this is part of your overcoming. But the most important thing you need is something here called the blood of the lamb. The blood, everybody say the blood. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb. See, that same blood, what we read about in verse 10, that, that same blood now is what keeps Satan out of heaven. So, if that blood will, they, you got it. If that blood will keep Satan out of heaven, what'll happen if you use that same blood over your household? Oh, Jesus. What'll happen if you use that same blood over your mind? What happened if you use that same blood over your finances? What happened if you use that same blood over your family and your children? over your business, over your empire. What'll happen if you use that same blood over your ministry? That's why we used to say something back in the old days. I don't hear it much now, but we used to say, say something like this. I plead the blood. Most of y'all young folk don't know anything about pleading the blood. I plead the blood of Jesus over my body, over my family, over my marriage, over my finances. I plead the blood. Satan, get out of here. I plead the blood. Okay, let, let, me, let, me, let me help some of, some of the newbies. Because when we say plead the blood, you may have a misunderstanding of plead the blood. Plead to you sounds like begging. No, we're not begging the blood. We're using pleading in the sense of a legal term. If I go to court, if I go to court and stand before a judge, I can plead the fifth. I can plead not guilty. I'm confessing. I'm declaring. So when I say I plead the blood, I'm not begging for nothing. I'm making a declaration. I'm making a statement. That is the word of my testimony. Satan, get out of here because the blood of Jesus is against you. Give God a shout about it. in this blood. We just, we, we've been letting too much stuff happen. We've been letting the devil come in and run stuff and mess stuff up. No, devil, get your butt. This, this is a blood house here. For years, we've been declaring a five-mile bloodline around this building. When I go home, I declare a five-mile blood run around my house, around my family, around all our possessions. We declare a five-mile, but Satan, you can't get up in here. He cannot penetrate the barrier of the blood. And most folk don't know that. When Hurricane Irma tried to take us out, hey, Irma, 
I plead the blood over the city of St. Petersburg, over this region. So when Irma tried to come, she had to go skirt. Everybody ran, but no, because, because she couldn't come cross that blood. Somebody shot the blood still worse. The blood still. Tell, tell three people, tell them the blood still worse. Tell them. It will never lose its power. Still works. We've just in our modern neo-Christianity. We don't talk about it. We don't, we don't talk about it. The blood. But the blood will never lose its power. The blood gives me strength. From day to day. It will never. You remember when the children of Israel were in Egypt and God was ready to bring the people out of Egypt. He said, he said, I want you to, every household, get a lamb. Now, you got to understand this. He didn't tell them, and you got to understand the picture. This is not go down to the market and buy some lamb and then, you know, uh, slaughter it. This is, this is a lamb that had to be precious to you. A lamb that had been in your house, the lamb slept. Just, just, just like folk do with their dogs, lamb, the lamb asleep in the bed. This is your, your little, this is not a sheep. He said a lamb. This is a little tender one, this little cute little face. You just, ooh, that's the little lamb. He said that lamb that's most precious to you, I want you to kill that one. Something that means something to you. That's why Jesus had to be the sacrificial lamb. Oh, I mean, I mean, Moses was great, but he wasn't Jesus. Ezekiel and Isaac and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel, they were great, but they weren't Jesus. John the Baptist was a good brother, but he wasn't Jesus. God had to give up his only begotten son, a lamb that was precious to him. The Bible calls him the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So they take that lamb and put that lamb, the blood, on the doorposts and the lintel. You don't have to paint the whole house. You don't have to paint the whole house. He didn't say you got to sprinkle on the yard. Just, just take it, do what I say, and just on the, on the doorposts and the lintel across the door. In other words, the door, that's the entryway into your household. That's the entryway into your family. The entryway into your finances. The entryway into your physical body. The entryway into your marriage. He says, so I need you to put the blood on every entryway. Glory to God. And so when the death angel will come through, he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over. So whenever death and destruction come through, it's got to pass over wherever someone has applied the blood. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, don't send your children to public school another day 
without saying, I plead the blood. Don't put them on a bus, take them to a bus stop, drop them off nowhere till you say, I plead the blood over my children. Let me show you something here. Let me show you something here. Luke 11. Luke 11. There's power in the blood. Luke 11. Oh, I hope I can finish this here. Luke 11, verse, verse, verse 21. Verse 21. Listen to this in the New King James Version. Luke 11, 21. It says, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace... His goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. This is Jesus talking here. Now I want you to see this same passage in the Passion Translation. I want you to see this here. Watch this. Verse 21. Verse 21. This is Jesus talking. I want you to know who he's talking about, what he's talking about. Satan's belongings. When Adam fell, when Adam sinned, he gave what belonged to him and us over. When God made Adam, Adam was the God, lowercase G-O-D, of this world. But when he sinned, Satan became the lowercase G-O-D of this world. So all these things uh, are, are his belongings, although God says the earth is the Lord's and the food is thereof. Yet because Satan has been running things, he has them in his possession. And possession is nine-tenths of the law. Y'all don't like that. <laughs> he possesses these things, yet they belong to us. So Jesus is showing us how to get our, how to get our belongings back. Anybody lost anything in this life? You want to know how to get your belongings back? He says Satan's belongings are undisturbed as he stands guard over his fortress kingdom. Strong and fully armed with an arsenal of many weapons. Oh yeah. But when one stronger than he Greater is he in me than he. What makes me stronger is the blood. So when one stronger than Satan comes to attack and overpower him, the stronger one will empty the arsenal in which he, the enemy, trusted, the conqueror, you, you, the conqueror, I wonder if I have any conquerors in this place. Conqueror, Pastor, I'm more than a conqueror. Okay, great. Prove it with your big self. The conqueror will ransack Satan's kingdom and distribute all the spoils. All the spoils of victory that the devil's been holding are ours to go in and ransack his kingdom, take everything back, and now we become distribution centers. Where the devil's been holding everything in the hands of a few folk who are under his thumb, when you and I go and spoil his kingdom, we're gonna now redistribute. 
Make sure everybody has something. Hey, I got three extra houses. You need a house? I can. Here's mine. I got six cars over here. You need a car? You need a car? You need a, everybody gets a car. Everybody gets a car. This is redistribution. Not socialism where it's forced on you. It's the love of Christ constrains. All right. Oh, my goodness. So the blood has cleansing power. The blood of Jesus has overcoming power. Lastly, the blood of Jesus has redeeming power. Everybody say redeeming power. Redeeming. Colossians chapter 1 and verse uh, 13 and uh, verse 14. Let me get to it here. Colossians 1 verse 13 says, He, this is God, had delivered us from the power of darkness. That's good already. When I was in sin, I was under the power of darkness. And conveyed or translated or transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love, the kingdom of his dear son, in whom, watch this, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now, switch please on verse 14 to the passion. There it is. Watch this. Watch this. Read it with me. Ready? Read. For in the son... All our sins are canceled. Stop. We can shout right there. In the sun, all our sins are canceled. That's like having debt canceled. Now you understand something that every negative or every problem is a result of sin. So if your sin gets canceled, then your problems are supposed to get canceled. So he says, for in the Son, all our sins are canceled, and because of that, we have the release of redemption through his very blood. So I wanted, I wanted you to see this here because this will help us understand when you say, what is redemption? Most of us in this term, we don't use the word redemption a lot, but what is, so what is redemption? It's simply release. So when you and I are redeemed by his blood, that means his blood has released us from things. Thank you, Lord. Now, I know, I, I've, I've never been incarcerated. Some of y'all have been incarcerated before. And uh, every, your, your dad looks shocked. Your dad is like, what? Girl, you didn't tell me that. You didn't tell me that. Don't you tell me that. Here's the, here's the truth. Deacon Robert, Deacon, Deacon uh, Gershman, y'all understand this. Even if it's just for three hours before these bail bondsmen go get them out, every person that's incarcerated is looking forward to one thing, their release date. Oh, come on now. All right, some of y'all, some of y'all can't, can't attest, but I guarantee you, every child in high school, middle school right now is thinking about one thing. What's my release date? When is May, May when, when they get out of school, May something. Oh, this is May 8th, this is this month. They, I guarantee they're counting down the weeks, counting down the teachers. I see some teachers and principals out here. Counting down the weeks, counting down the days, counting how many hours we got. 
our oldest daughter was in town this weekend. She probably just leaving, leaving, heading back home today. And, and she was telling us, hey, we got 80 hours left. She's a, she's a first grade teacher. She said, hey, I got 80 hours left. She's, she got the hours down. Looking forward to being released. See, when you've been trapped, when you've been in bondage, when you've been stuck in something you didn't want to be stuck in, all you can think about is your release. I've come to announce to you this morning that the blood of Jesus has released you from everything you've ever been stuck in. You ought to give him a shout about that. Shout, I'm released, I'm released, I'm released. When they, when they release somebody out of prison, they, they give them their old clothes back. When they release somebody from prison, they get their old clothes back and they give them, hey, here, here, $100 or so, hey, go and do the best you can. That ain't how he released us. He don't release us and put our old clothes back on us. He released you and put a robe of righteousness. Put a brand new robe on you. Brand new sandals on your feet. Brand new ring on your finger. And he didn't put $100 in your pocket. He said, I give you unlimited supply for the rest of your life. Somebody shout, I've been released. It's always, it's always funny when you see somebody, they've been, they've been released. And they come back home, and you know, they, they ain't been in society for 12 years. And so, like, wow. Many times they still act like they still have the same mindset of 12 years ago. And the problem with most Christians is we have all been released, but we still have the same mindset of when we were in bondage. But when Joseph got released out of the prison, he shaved, changed his clothes, shook himself. I'm going up to, to see the king. So you got to shave yourself. Change your clothes. You've been released. Now watch this, watch this. Can I teach you just a minute? So we have been released through his very blood. Now I want you to know this, I receive, that the blood, by the blood of Jesus Christ, listen, this is very important. We have been redeemed, or we can say now released, from sin, sickness, poverty, and spiritual death. You need to know that. You need to know that. That when he redeemed you, he redeemed you from sin. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm released from sin. Now sin does not have any more power over me. Nobody said anything. I said sin does not have any more power over me. Now I can never say I couldn't help myself. Come on now. That's a lie if you're a believer. To say I couldn't help myself. You could help yourself. You just didn't choose to help yourself. Well, I thank God for grace. Grace is the power to not do it. 
So I've been released from sin. But I've also been released from sickness. Because sickness from the beginning was a product of sin. Poverty from the beginning was a product of sin. Spiritual death from the beginning was a product from sin. So once I got released from the prison of sin, I'm not on, I ain't on no papers. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Pastor Rowe, am I right on this right here, man? People, people release, but act like they're still on papers. I mean, see, when you release and you on papers, you still watch out for the man. But you, when you release and you ain't on no, y'all know what I mean when I say no papers. Probation, they still got to check in. All kind of, when you release with no papers, let the man show up. Hey, hey, officer, how you doing? I'm good. So when you release from sin with no papers, hey, sickness, how you doing? No, I'm good. <laughs> hey, poverty, how you doing? No, I'm good. Hey, spiritual death, how you doing? No, I'm good. You have no more power over me because I've been released from sin. Glory to God. Is this helping anybody in here today? Galatians 3. Man, I, I probably won't finish this today, but we're, we're going to get as far as I can. Galatians 3. Verse 13 and 14 says this, Christ, now this happens on the cross, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now what's the curse of the law? It is sickness, it's poverty, and spiritual death. But he has redeemed us from that, having become a curse for us, for it is written. Curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. Well, that's what happened to him. He was hung on a tree. The cross of Calvary was the tree he was hung on. And at that point was when he took all of our sickness. Come on now. That's, I heard somebody talking about the great exchange this morning. I wrote a book about it. The great exchange. He took all of our sickness. The word says with his stripes we were. Isaiah 3 says we are healed. But by the time you get to 1 Peter 2.24, it says we were healed. He took all of our sickness, all of our punishment, all of our pains in the curse. He was rich. He became poor so that we through his poverty might become rich. He became the curse. The Bible says he became sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21. He became sin for us. So that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Then here it says, he became a curse for us. Now watch this. For it is written, curse everyone who hangs on a tree. Verse 14, that the blessing, or we can say so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. In Christ Jesus. That's you and me. Gentiles. 
right? So he released us from the curse, then released the blessing on us. You catch that? Released us from the curse, then released the blessing on us. That would be like, and keep this in mind, oh, if I can get there, Holy Spirit. Releasing someone from prison and to find out that all those years you were wrongfully accused. DNA evidence has proven now you're innocent. Well, that's what happened. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, he said, no, they didn't do it. I did it. Y'all miss it. You, you're, 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 I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if you understand the, the impact of the cross. The cross, Christ was saying, no, Father, no, uh, they didn't do it. I did it. Now, he knows we did it. But the cross said, they didn't do it. I did it. He took upon himself all of our sins. All, he assumed all. Oh, my God. See, watch this. If, if I enter covenant with him, he has a business, and I come in, I want to be now a partner in his business. We enter into covenant. And he comes in, and he's got all kind of debt and all kind of liability. What happens, Gershom? I assume all his liability. When Jesus Christ entered into covenant with us, he didn't have any debt. He didn't have any sin. He didn't have any sickness. He didn't have any curse. But he came and he assumed on the cross all of our curse. All, oh, this is preaching better than y'all letting on right here. All of our curse, all of our sin, all of our sickness, all of our poverty became his liability. We were released from liability. Then he released the blessing. And so he said, now all the blessing I have, I make available to you. Are y'all catching this here, boy? This, this is Ivy League preaching right here, boy. Y'all are, y'all are Ivy League students, boy. Everybody's not hearing this on a Sunday morning. So the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So everybody say, I've been redeemed. I've been redeemed. Oh my God. Revelation 5, 8 through 10. Put on the screen for me, please. Revelation 5, 8 through 10. Man, I got I to speed up. It says, now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Jesus is the lamb, right? Each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are? Oh, your prayers are being saved. Isn't that good? Your prayers are incense before God. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. They're talking about the lamb here. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of black and white and Hispanic and Asian and Caucasian. It doesn't matter where you're from. Out of every tribe and every tongue and people and nation. Verse 10, and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. So the lamb's blood redeemed us so we were redeemed and then raised to royalty. Are you saying this here? So he didn't just release us and say now go out there and try to make it on your own. Go out there and be. You know, that's why a lot of guys, ladies, 
people who ever come out of prison end up going back. Because they come out with nothing. And then nobody gives them a chance. That's why we got to do something about it. That's why God has to raise people up who can build stuff and have businesses and get a, that's going to give somebody a, a chance, a second chance. So when they come out with nothing, 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 and nobody gives them a chance, the recidivism rate or the return rate is extremely high in our nation. But when you and I came out of the prison of sin, we don't come out with nothing. And not only do we get a second chance, we have been raised up to be kings and priests to our God. Oh, man. All right. I'm going to try to finish this here. Can I get a few extra minutes? Looks like it might rain, so bring the rain on, Lord. So I get some extra time. Go real quick. Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, 28. Hebrews 10, 28. This is better than your greens that's waiting. Oh, don't they have greens waiting? All right, good. I want you to hear this, ladies and gentlemen. I'm, I'm going to say something that's very critical. Very, very important. Am I talking to any believers today? Hebrews 10, and 28 and 29 says this. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law, that's the, that's the old covenant, they rejected the old covenant, dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. So the old covenant, if you break that, you die without mercy. Now watch verse 29, please. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Now we're talking about the new covenant here. Counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. So we're seeing three, three things here. Three things that happen when, watch this, when people get into willful sin. Talking about willful sin. When you absolutely now intent, now this, you know I'm going to go back and do my own thing now. He says three things happen. You trample the son of God underfoot. You count the blood of the covenant as a common thing. So that means the blood is not a common thing. It's powerful. He said, and thirdly, you insult the spirit of grace, the Holy Ghost, the grace, the person of grace. He said, you insult him when you do that. In other words, put it like this in my own words, by willful sin, People disgrace the Son of God, dishonor the blood, and disrespect the Spirit of grace. They disgrace the Son of God. That's what it is, trample him underfoot. You make him, you put an open shame again. You dishonor the blood. You act like the blood didn't, doesn't mean anything. I'm talking about willful sin. Now listen, 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 listen. And disrespect the Spirit of grace. You frustrate the grace of God. Now, remember, remember something I told you. Y'all listening? That the blood redeemed us from sin, released us from sin, sickness, poverty, 
and spiritual death. So then, if that's the case, and it is, to accept sickness or disease or poverty and lack is just as disgraceful, as disgraceful, dishonorable, and disrespectful to the blood of Jesus as willful sin. I need you to see that. I need you to see that. I need you to see that. Oh, boy, that's big. Barbara, that's big right there. Because willful sin that I've been released from is dishonorable, disgraceful, disrespectful. Well, if that's the case, then to accept sickness and disease is just as disgraceful. Just as dishonorable. Just as disrespectful. To accept poverty and lack is just as. Oh my God. I, I, it's like, it look like I lost 90% of y'all. Just as disgraceful. See, the body of Christ is rejecting the teaching on health. Divine health, divine healing, divine life. And then rejecting the teaching on divine uh, supply from God, uh, prosperity from God, that God uh, w- wants to teach you how to become rich. And most folk reject that. And that's what we were released from, poverty and lack, sickness and disease, spiritual death. So if I don't, if I accept that, it's just like willful sin. It's willful poverty. It's willful lack. It's willful sickness. It's willful, I don't want to be sick. Jesus came and asked the man in John 5, he said, hey, do you want to be, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be, you want to be well? Do you want to be? Because he understands that there's sometimes people make sickness and disease their badge. My, my cancer. My lupus. My asthma, my arthritis, my blood pressure. They, they, make, they make that part of who they are. They identify more with, more with that than identifying with the blood. And that is just as disgraceful, dishonorable, and disrespectful to the blood as willful sin. So I might add that to accept poverty and lack in any form, to reject prosperity is, y'all quiet right there, is just as disgraceful, dishonorable, and disrespectful to the blood because the blood paid for all of it. The blood paid for all of it. The blood paid for you to be healed. The blood paid for you to walk in divine health. The blood paid for you to walk in divine life. The blood paid for you to walk in divine supply. The blood paid for you to walk in divine prosperity. The blood paid for you to be rich. The blood paid for you to be blessed. The blood paid for you to be whole. The blood paid for you to be righteous. So to reject any of it is to trample the Son of God underfoot. 
It's to count the blood as a common thing. It is to insult the spirit of grace, the very person called grace. Ha, ha, ha. But we're not those people, are we? I said we're not those people, are we? Y'all ought to shout 10 times louder than that. We're not those people, are we? We're not going to disrespect, disgrace, and dishonor the blood. I don't need all that. Oh, so you don't need all that righteousness either, right? Because it's, it's all the same ticket. Nobody need all that. So you don't need all that anointing either, right? Because it's all the same ticket. How many times did Christ die? Once. He didn't die one time for sin, then another time for sickness, then another time for uh, poverty and lack, another time for the curse. You only die one time. So that one time covered everything. So to reject any part of that is to reject all of it. So get over yourself and saying, I have a right to be sick. Well, people even give, give their sickness names. Lucy's showing up. Lucy, Lucy came back. This, you know, I got to deal with Lucy. Are y'all with me here? Give me, give me, okay. Let me, let me wrap it up. Hebrews 10, 26. I want to start at 26 through 29 in the message. I want you to hear this. Please hear me on this here. No, no, hear God. Because I, I ain't told you nothing that's out of my mouth. I'm talking about what God is saying here. 26 through, through uh, I'm, I'm going to stop at 29 here. If, I'll find it in there. It says, if we give up and turn our backs on all we've learned. Have y'all learned some things here? How many of y'all have learned some things in this ministry? If we give up and turn our backs on all we've learned, all we've been given, Given, Pastor, I ain't received. You've been given everything. We've been given great and precious promises. We've already been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. We've already been given spiritual blessings in heavenly places. We've been given everything we need. But we've turned. Many of us have turned our backs on it. I don't need to hear all that. He says all the truth we now know. He says we repudiate Christ. That word repudiate is a, just a SAT word for reject. It's, it's, it's to, to forcefully reject. It's to reject uh, as, as uh, disgusting. It's, we reject Christ's sacrifice. Y'all got to catch this. If we turn our backs on all, all, all we've learned, all we've, all we've been given, all the truth we know, then we repudiate or reject Christ's sacrifice and then, watch this, are left on our own to face the judgment. And a mighty fierce judgment it will be. Watch this, keep going. If the penalty for breaking, keep going, the law of Moses is physical death, is physical death, what do you think will happen if you turn on God's son, spit, accepted sickness and disease, accepted poverty, is spitting on the sacrifice that made you whole. What? Sacrifice made you whole. Whole in every way. And insult this most gracious spirit. He said, this is no light matter. God has warned us that he'll hold us to account and make us pay 
he was quite explicit. Vengeance is mine, and I won't overlook a thing, and God will judge his people. Nobody getting by, nobody's getting by with anything, believe me. Now, he's not talking about sending you to hell. He's talking about when you reject the, the, what he has given and made, made uh, available to us and released to us, we deal with the punishment here on earth of, okay, you think you're making it. You ain't really making it. That sickness is going to take you out. Quick. See, and we have, to, we have to look at sickness and disease and poverty and lack the same way we look at sin. That the power of the blood overcame all that, released us from all that. Got it? Y'all tired yet? I hope not. I'm the one doing all the work. <laughs> all right. Let's go back to our key scripture here. I'll just read it because I want to show you something here. And we'll close. We'll close. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. Remember we read that at the beginning? Yes. Now let's go right for sake of time to the message translation. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 through 26. I admonish all the deacons to learn this. I admonish all the ministers and elders to learn this. This passage I learned. I admonish all the flight team leaders to learn this passage. Because you need to serve communion in your flight teams. Deacons, y'all visit folk in the hospital? Okay. You need to know how to serve communion because obviously they can't come. Yes, Lord. Uh, parents, husbands, head of household, learn this for your house. My wife and I have taken communion at home uh, innumerable times. Whenever we've come into covenant agreement about something, we're going to believe God for something. This is how we seal it with communion. It'll work at home too. He said as often as you do this. I wouldn't wait for first Sunday. Okay. Now watch the message translation. Watch what it says. Paul says, let me go over with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper. Now I'm preaching this, Sister Kathy, because folk, you know, it used to be every first Sunday you were in church or every communion Sunday you were in church. Yeah, if people wouldn't even come second, third, or fourth. Shut up, boy. I got it. Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you in Jesus' name. We plead the blood. Glory to God. That did catch me, though. I ain't gonna lie. That did catch me off guard. All right. Let's jump on it. Let me go over with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it is so centrally important. I received my instructions from the master himself and passed them on to you. The master Jesus on the night of his betrayal took bread and having, uh, having given thanks, he broke it and said... This is my body broken for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he did the same thing with the cup. This cup is my blood. Now, if you don't know anything about the, the Passover time, they, they, there were four cups that they partook of. Okay? 
That's why when you read back in Matthew and, and Mark and Luke, the, the, the Gospels, he'll talk about they had a cup before, and then he said, then he took this cup. So this is what Paul is alluding to. He says, this cup, this fourth cup, is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. Now, we're going to do this here in a few minutes. He says, so each time you drink this cup, remember me. What you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the master. Each time. You will be drawn back to this meal again and again until the master returns. Watch this last line. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. In other words, you must never let this be a time where we're just going to take communion. Well, this is what we do on first Sunday. This is taking the bread and the juice. And we, we make the blood a common thing. It's not. And too many times in the body of Christ, too, too, too prevalent currently in the body of Christ is a disdain for the power of this blood. That is just community. It's ritual. It's just something we do every month or whenever I come to church. I mean, we're at the point, and now people skip it, like, like it doesn't even, it's not even important. And they know for Sunday we're going to do it. Because Satan has tricked us into disdaining, dishonoring, disrespecting, disgracing the power of this blood. And familiarity with it has bred a contempt. It's just, it's just something we do. But it's not that. It's power. It's a mark and a reminder of release, of redemption, of cleansing. I got it? Now, Hebrews 13, verse 20 and 21. I'm going to go right to the Passion Translation because I don't have much time. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Let's go right over to the Passion Translation. I want you to see this. I read this, I think, two Sundays ago, but let's look it up in the Passion. It says, Now may the God who brought us peace by raising from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ so that he would be the great shepherd of his flock, and by what? the power of the blood of the eternal covenant, verse 21, may he work perfection. This is by the power of that blood. May he work perfection into every part of you. Every part of you. Spirit, soul, body, your emotions, your finances, Every part of you here, he says, giving you all that you need, this is all what the blood is doing to fulfill your destiny. How many of y'all know you have a great destiny? That, that God has something big in store for you and a big plan. This blood, he's saying, is doing that. And may he express to you all that is excellent and pleasing to him through your life union with Jesus, the anointed one, who is to receive all glory forever. Amen. All right. Last place. Last place. Zechariah. Made it to the finish line here, Brother Chris. Zechariah. Zechariah. 
That's Old Testament. Second to the last book. Zechariah. Chapter 9. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Verse 11 and 12 says, As for you also, because of the blood of your covenant. Oh, man. Oh, y'all hearing? As for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Notice the blood again is bringing release to the prisoners of a waterless pit. It's bad to be in a pit, but a waterless pit, dry and thirsty, no hope to ever get out. Verse 12, watch what he says after you've been released. Ready? Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today, I declare, this is the Lord talking, that I will restore double. Oh, my God. Boy, you ought to give God a shout about that right there. You prisoners who still had hope, why do I still have hope? Because of the blood of the covenant. That means even when I was down, the blood of the covenant was still in force. And so he was going to come to my rescue. I didn't know how long. I didn't know when. I didn't know what time. I didn't know what day. But I knew at some point he was going to come to my rescue and redeem me and release me from this prison. And when he released me, he's not just releasing and redeeming me, but he said he will restore not put my old clothes I had on, but he said I'm going to restore double. Anybody ready for double? The devil came and tried to destroy your life, but he said, I'm going to restore double to you. Now watch this. Switch over, please, to the Amplified, please. Amplified. Same verses, 11 and 12. Amplified. Can y'all read it with me? It says, as for you also, because of and for the sake of the covenant of the Lord with his people, which was sealed. Hold on, hold on. Y'all having trouble reading that? This, can I tell you something? It's good. What we're reading is good. It's going to be real good. I need you to read with a little more oomph than that. You're not, you're not trying to read and put your child to sleep. I'm talking about you reading and raising your spirit up to grab what God has for you. So why don't you read like you mean something? Start over. Ready, read. As for you also... Because of which was I have out of are you ready for the next verse? Ready, verse 12. Return of you prisoners. Ready? Come on, go. Even, even. Y'all ain't catching this even today. Do I declare that I will restore? Oh, my goodness. I'm talking about the blood of the covenant. The power of the blood is going to release you and restore double your prosperity. 
That meant it was God's expectation that they were already in prosperity. But some came along and got a hold of it. Some came along and got a hold of them. But he said, don't worry about that. I'm going to release you because there's a blood covenant that's still in force forever. And God said, I will not break my covenant and I will not alter the word that has gone out of my mouth. God is a covenant keeping God and he sees you. He's not forgotten about you. As a matter of fact, he said in Deuteronomy 8.18, he said, behold, I give you power to get wealth that I may establish my covenant. The covenant is always on God's mind. And what made the covenant powerful and enforced was the blood. So he said, you, go back to, to, Ze to Zechariah. Glory to God. He says, return to the stronghold. So God has a stronghold for you of security and prosperity. A stronghold, I ain't used to being no stronghold of prosperity. He said, I got, I got a stronghold of prosperity. Well, can't nothing touch you. Can't no bill touch you. Can't no IRS get to you. Can't no child support mess you up. Can't no, can't no, can't no breakdown, nothing mess you up. You got a stronghold of security and prosperity. You're secure by the blood. Secure by the blood, yes, I plead the blood over my bank account. I plead the blood over my checkbook. I plead the blood over my wallet. I plead the blood over my children. I plead the blood over my refrigerator. I plead the blood over my washing machine. I plead the blood over my car. My car will not be crashed. My car will not be destroyed. My car will not break down. I plead the blood over it. It's a stronghold of prosperity. He said, even today. When? Today. When? Today. God said, I'm ready to do this for you today. today. You ain't got to wait the next year for this. God said, today, this is the day the Lord has made. This is the day the Lord has chosen to act for those who wait on him. All right. Let me finish for all the hungry people. Go back to verse 11. But I want to look at now, let's look at, I think, the message translation. Is that what I sent you? Okay. Y'all going to read this together with me? Y'all sat down too quick. This ain't but two verses. We're going to read it like an army. And then we can shout for a minute. Get up there, Luke. Barry, get on there. We, we got to dance over this for a minute at least or something. That's, that's, how, that's how you close this out, man. You gotta, when you know what you got, you got to dance and shout. At least for a minute. I'll give y'all two minutes just to dance and man, over this thing here. Y'all ready to read? Now we're going to read it like an army, right? Ready to read. And you, because of our release very day, I'm declaring
got it yet. They're not ready yet. Now, when during the 90 days, during the 90 days, when somebody would come up here and testify about that, how they got a bonus, y'all would celebrate crazy. Y'all was going crazy because somebody got a bonus. God just said, this very day, I'm about to give you a double bonus. You better shout like you know something about to happen in your life. serve you this time y'all gonna come around and get this today you're gonna dance your way through this and when you take it remember him he said when you take this body this bread remember him remember his body that was broken to get you out of sin to get you out of all that stuff his body that took all that curse all that pain all that punishment all that sickness all that poverty he took all that in his body and was broken for us in, take that cup. Remember, this is the new covenant, the new agreement, the new deal in my blood. And he, no, you know what he said? He said, drink all of it. That don't just mean smirk the cup. That means everything the covenant provided for you, everything the blood paid for, take all of it. Don't leave anything behind. Don't leave anything on the table. Bless the Lord on my soul and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord on my soul and forget not all his benefits. Father, thank you for the blood. 
that will never lose its power. Thank you for redemption through the blood. Thank you, Lord, for our cleansing through the blood. Thank you, Lord, for our protection through the blood. Thank you, Lord, for our deliverance through the blood. Thank you for our restoration through the blood. Thank you for all that you provided for us through the power of the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you now that we have a covenant agreement with you sealed by the blood of the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And your word says he was slain to receive riches and glory and power and wisdom and strength and honor and blessing. So God, we have a right to receive all that. So today, when we eat this bread, we're going to take of all that you provided for us. When we drink of this cup, we're going to drink all of it. We're going to drink all. We're going to take it all in. We will no longer repudiate or reject what you provided for us. We receive it. We receive our greater anointing. We receive our greater health. We receive our greater prosperity. We receive our greater joy. We walk in a greater love. We walk in a greater, greater dimension, Lord, of vision and destiny, oh God. Lord, continue, Lord, to reveal to us exactly what you've done and exactly what, you, what you're doing in our lives even now. And we're going to give you praise and the glory and the honor for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Y'all can line up around there on the wall, on either side.